First Samuel chapter 18 tonight. First Samuel chapter 18. While you're turning there, just again an encouragement, especially born out of Sunday, that many people made decisions on Sunday, and let's continue to pray for all who made decisions on Sunday. Pray for each other. Maybe you made a decision and you're starting to feel some tremendous pressure and opposition and challenge to that decision. Please don't hesitate to grab a brother or sister in Christ and ask them to be praying for you. Or please see Rita. Rita heads up our prayer team. She would love to put your prayer request to our prayer team and let them be praying for you as well. So we always want to encourage you to share your prayer requests with us. And then another sort of good problem to have is as our church is growing, so is our children's ministry. We had over 50 on Sunday over there. And uh, Crystal's always looking for help. So I just told her I'd mention it tonight and again on Sunday for a, a while. That anytime you could help her out with taking a turn on Sunday or Tuesday every once in a while, I know she would greatly, greatly appreciate that. As our church continues to grow, obviously the children's ministry does as well. In fact, she was telling me tonight, there's just lots of babies in this church and there's more on the way. So whoever you are out there, no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're glad for all those babies. All right. So tonight as we continue our, our study of the life of David here in 1 Samuel, we go back to 1 Samuel 16 where we saw that God called David uh, to be the next king of Israel. And then last week we looked at the very familiar story of David and Goliath and the conflict that came about very soon after the calling. Tonight we're going to look at relationships. And how God, I guess this is how I want to say it, God strategically puts people into our lives. He just does. And, and sometimes it's to encourage us. Other times He allows people to be in our lives or stay in our lives to try to shape us and maybe even break us to where He can use us more. That was certainly true of David as well. That's why God allowed Saul to stay as the king because the way Saul was acting towards David is actually the way that God was going to bring about actually helping David to trust in him more and in a sense drive out the Saul that was in David that's in all of us, if you will. So... Very early on, God knew what David down the road was going to be facing. And therefore, we read in 1 Samuel 18 that God strategically, I believe, brought a young man by the name of Jonathan into David's life. And they became really, really good friends. Now, the irony here is that Jonathan is also the son of Saul. And so that makes it a little bit unique too. So what we're going to see here tonight is really a lot about the dynamics of relationships. You know, even in our lives, relationships are never static. They're always changing. They're, they're always either going more towards the better or they're changing for the worse. That's true in our own relationship with God. Our relationship with God never stays static or stationary. We're either getting closer to God or we're moving further away from God. So relationships always are changing. And we see the dynamics of relationships changing in David's life as well. So, the Bible says here in 1 Samuel 18, When David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, 
and David became bound together in close friendship. One of the reasons why I believe that Jonathan pursued David and wanted to be David's friend was not just because Jonathan witnessed David slaying Goliath. I think, especially in the context here, it's because Jonathan was listening closely to what David was saying to Saul when he finished talking. And we all know that a person's heart is revealed by their words, by what we say. Uh, what we, what comes out of our mouth, the Bible says, reveals what is in our heart. And I believe that Jonathan was listening very carefully to how David was sharing, in a sense, his heart with Saul. And I think as Jonathan continued to listen to David, it was like he was saying, that's my kindred spirit. That, that's exactly how I look at things. That, that, that's somebody that we could be close. And I think that's why Jonathan came to David and the Bible says they were bound together in close friendship. Very interesting too, that the name Jonathan means Jehovah has given. And I think that God gave David Jonathan because God knew that David was going to need a friend like Jonathan. We all want and need friends. The, the, the truth is, though, that throughout our lives, we maybe have many acquaintances, but we have very, very few real friends that sort of stick with us through thick and thin like Jonathan and David did with each other. And that's okay, because it's not like the Bible says, oh, you know, you need to have 1,200 really good friends. That's impossible. If you have a couple of really, really good friends in your life, thank God for them. They are invaluable, just like Jonathan and David's friendship. By the way, the words bound together here mean to be fastened tightly or knit together is exactly what those words mean. There's a, there's a commitment there, you see, and we're going to see that in just a moment. And the words close friendship talk about being refreshed, which is really what a good friendship is all about. That, that there's not only commitment in a good friendship and a quality friendship, but there's refreshment there. There's encouragement there on both sides. That, that when David got together with Jonathan or Jonathan with David, they were mutually encouraged and refreshed. And you know that that's a good friendship whenever, when both parties get together, both are being mutually refreshed. We also see three things just real quickly about their friendship. It was uncomplicated, it was unconditional, it was uncommon. I say it was uncomplicated because you read about their friendship in the Bible and it had nothing to do with what each other could do for the other. It, it wasn't like a lot of sort of friendships or relationships today where people kept track of what the other one did and felt like they needed to reciprocate and there's all these expectations and stuff. It wasn't like that with David and Jonathan. The reason why their friendship was so cool is they just liked being together and, and it was just about who each other were, who they were, not what they were or what they could could do. In fact, at this point, Jonathan is, you know, the prince in a sense of Israel, second to the throne under Saul at this point, and David's still just a shepherd boy. And so they, they had a lot in common as far as their, their walk with God, but not a lot in common as far as physical uh, things and, and, and privileges and all of that of the world at this point, not a lot. But it was uncomplicated. 
sometimes the more complicated relationships get, obviously the more challenging it is. The reason I say it was unconditional is notice we go on here. Jonathan and David were bound together in close friendship and Jonathan loved David as much as his own life. In fact, this is said twice in this passage. And, and what that simply means is that Jonathan was saying, look, I don't care what happens. I'm here for you. One of the things that we're going to see here tonight and that we all know in our own lives is even the best of relationships and friendships are always tested. They just are. All relationships go through testing. And so if there's not commitment there, if the relationship is not unconditional, then obviously there's going to be major problems. And what made this relationship so strong was it was unconditional. Saul, verse 2, retained David on that day and did not allow him to return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. Literally a pledge for life. He basically said, David, I'm here for you for the rest of your life. That's a sign of a good quality friendship and relationship is when there's commitment there. There has to be, again, because all relationships will be tested. We see this in marriages today. We see this in friendships today. There's so many, you know, friendships and relationships that just break apart. And a lot of the times, not always, a lot of the times, it's just a lack of commitment on one or both parties. And so we see Jonathan here, not David, we see Jonathan here saying, I'm here for you for the rest of your life. There was a commitment. For he loved him again as much as he did his own life. Now, verse 4, here's where it gets uncommon. Not only uncomplicated and unconditional, but uncommon. Let's remember again who Jonathan is. He is the oldest son of Saul. Saul's the king. So naturally, as far as looking at things from a human perspective, Jonathan is the one that's next in line to be the king of Israel. And yet, in a sense, notice what Jonathan does. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with the rest of his gear, including his sword, his bow, and even his belt. Wow. Talk about selflessness. Talk about humility. In a sense, this is like Jonathan abdicating the throne and saying, David, I recognize that God is wanting you to be the next king, not me, even though I'm the rightful one to step in after my father. And so therefore, I'm laying this all down and I acknowledge, David, that you're going to be the king and not me. And I'm okay with that. I mean, in a day and age and really throughout human history when there's, there's such a temptation by human beings to, to grab for power and position... <laughs> Here's an example of someone who instead of going after power and position and trying to keep it for himself as his own father's going to do here, he lays it down and said, David, this is not rightfully mine. This is yours. And by doing this, Jonathan is acknowledging God is the one who who did this. And, And it's because of my relationship with God that I'm laying this down and giving this over to you. That's uncommon today. Most people are fighting for power and thrones and position. And yet here's a young man who's saying, no, that's not what God wants. God wants you to be the king 
Here, David, it's all yours. Now, on every mission then, verse 5, on which Saul sent him, David achieved success. Now, after God brings Jonathan into his life, and again, we need to thank God for the friends that God brings into our life, here's the next thought I want to bring up tonight. Three times in this chapter, the phrase, David achieved success, is used. In verse 5, and then if you go over quickly to verse 14, notice the Bible says, now David achieved success in all he did. And then down in the last verse of the chapter, verse 30, David achieved more success than all of Saul's servants. I want to examine what that means, but before I do, I think there's one reason why David was so successful. Three other times in this chapter, there's another phrase that is repeated. It is, the Lord was with David. Look at verse, uh, I'll find it. Verse 14. The Lord was with him. Verse 14. And then, I'm sorry, verse 12 was the first one. The Lord was with him in verse 12. The Lord was with David in verse 14. And then in verse 28, the Lord was with David. Now, I think that's pretty obvious that one of the reasons why David achieved success in all that he did, mentioned three times in his chapter, was because the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him because David was with the Lord. Let's remember that what that simply means is that David was being who he was supposed to be. He was being obedient. He was following God. God was his shepherd, and therefore God was with him. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the reason why, in a sense, the Lord was walking with David was because David was walking with God. David was doing his part, and therefore God was accompanying David in all that he did. And there's nothing greater, there's, there's no greater knowledge than even for us today to know that as a Christian, that we are in a place where we know God is with us in what we're doing. Just like that's how David could face Goliath with such confidence. That even though this giant was huge and intimidating and all that, the reason he could step out on the battlefield with confidence was because he knew the Lord was with him and that the battle was the Lord's. There, there is nothing better than to go through life knowing that God is with us. That's why Paul said to the Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? And when we're at that place in our life, that's a good place to be. And that's where David was. The Lord was with David. But there's another meaning here. And that is when you study the phrase, David achieved success in the Hebrew, it means to be wise, to be prudent, to be insightful. Well, when we think of success, we might not use those words, but that's biblically what the word means. In other words, it means from God's perspective, to be successful in life means to attack life and navigate life from a wise, prudent, insightful position. And how does that come? Well, going back to the Lord being with him, it comes from walking with God and asking God for wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs says that God wants to give wisdom. And then James says in James 1.5, if we lack wisdom, let's ask of God. He'll give it to us. And wisdom is the ability to be able to see things that normally we can't see. 
Why is it that, say, even today, and I think David was this way, if people talked about David, I think they would have said things like, man, he can see things that the rest of us can't see. He can see problems coming before they come. He can see solutions coming before anybody else can see a solution. And even today, we, we may say that about other Christians. You know, man, they seem to be able to see things that we just can't see. Well, folks, that's not because God gave them a higher IQ. It's because they're walking with God, they're in His Word, they're asking God for wisdom, and God is the only one that can truly give us an insight into things that, that only He can do. I mean, as a human being, we've talked about this before, that there's none of us that have the ability to see sort of below the surface of things. Only God can do that. But if we walk with God and we ask for God's wisdom, then He will give us the ability to see below the surface. To see things that normally we cannot see. And that's what God means when He says David achieved success. He tackled life with wisdom. He navigated life with prudence and insight. And from God's perspective, again... That's a success. That's a success. So then back to verse 5. So Saul appointed him over the men of war. This pleased not only all the army, but also Saul's servants. And when the men arrived after David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women from all the cities of Israel came out singing and dancing to meet King Saul. Forget the reality shows today. This would have been the first one. The first Israelite idol would have been David. Here comes the women all out dancing and singing. And notice, they made up a, a song. They were happy as they played their tambourines and three-stringed instruments. And the women who were playing the music sang, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And notice the very next verse. This made Saul very angry. The word angry there in the Hebrew means furious, enraged. Why was Saul angry? Because Saul was all about Saul. See, at this point, the reason why David and Jonathan were who they were and why they had a great friendship was because for them, it wasn't about the throne. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about position. It was all about God and about each other. The reason why David and Jonathan's friendship clicked is because it was about God and David was about Jonathan, not David. And Jonathan was about David, not Jonathan. And that's why it clicked. Saul is all about Saul. And Saul is going to illustrate for us a person who begins to get eaten up from the inside out because he's so selfish and it's all about him. In fact, you see three things here that come into play in Saul's life, that come into play in other people's lives today when they approach life from it's all about me. They are angry people. That's the first one. A person who's all about themselves will be a person who is pretty much easily angered or goes through life angry. Because for them, it's like if life is all about me and I'm the belly button of the universe and this is all, you know, then anytime something doesn't go their way or somebody doesn't react the way they should or whatever, guess what they're going to do? They're going to get angry. 
That's a great response. That's exactly what happens to people who are full of themselves. They are very angry people, just like Saul. Secondly, they're very suspicious people. I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but notice in verse 9, so Saul was keeping an eye on David from that day onward. And literally in the Hebrew, keeping an eye on means with suspicion. In fact, it's very interesting. If you ever get a chance, one of the, one of the cool translations is the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where they went in and translated the Hebrew into Greek. And it's very interesting, when they came to this verse, the Greeks translated this phrase, keeping your eye on, with the Greek word, in video. I mean, that literally, it's spelled the way it sounds. I-N-V-I-D-E-O. In video. And it literally means to literally, in a sense, have a camera or a video, just like we would have a camera on this person all the time and watch everything that they do with suspicion. Because a person who's all about themselves is going to be very suspicious of others. Every time somebody does something, they're going to question their motives. You know, because if it's all about me, then uh, they've, they've got something up their sleeve. And then the other thing is fear. Notice verse 12. So Saul feared David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Anger, suspicion, and fear. Show me a person who's all about themselves and I will show you a person in which all three of those traits in some way is exhibiting themselves. They will be an angry person. They will be suspicious of others and they will be fearful of others because it's all about them. See, and this is what happened to Saul. This is the dynamic of what was happening. And isn't it interesting that as God was getting ready to take the kingdom away from Saul that he was so tightly clinging to, God was also preparing David for that very throne that he was going to take from Saul. And yet, as you're going to see throughout our study of David, one of the fascinating things that God does is God was actually using Saul to prepare David for that position. Sometimes that's what God does. That's why He allows those Sauls in our life. He doesn't like the way Saul treated David any more than David did. But God, in His wisdom, knew that David needed to learn to trust in God even more than he already did for the challenges that were ahead. And the only way he could do that was by navigating this season with Saul in his life. And that David needed to have the Saul that was in him cut out. And the only way to do that was to have a season with Saul. Because we all have a Saul within us. All of us as human beings have that self-importance that we can get there real quickly. And so sometimes that's why God uses those Sauls in our life. Back to verse 8. This made Saul very angry. The statement displeased him and he thought, they have attributed to David tens of thousands, but to me they've attributed only thousands. Can I just say, Saul, Saul should be lucky they attributed him anything. But see, when it's all about you, it's never enough. You're always so jealous and envious of any kind of, any kind of praise or any kind of accolades that anybody else gets but you. You feel threatened and very insecure. 
all the time. I think I can say this because I am one. By, by role or position, some of the most insecure people that I've ever met are pastors. Can I tell you that's why there's so much even competition and rivalry amongst churches and stuff? Because pastors are so insecure. That's just, it's sad. You know, we're to be the spiritual leaders. And yet many times as, as pastors, we're very poor examples of what to me a real leader is supposed to be all about. And we all can get there if we're not careful. In fact, Saul says, what does he lack except the kingdom to become king? And isn't it interesting too, and we've all been there at our times, that when, when we don't want to let go of something, when we grip something even more tightly and yet God is going to take it from us, that it's not like we have any ultimate control, as we said Sunday. God's going to move the way He's going to move. And if He wants to take it from us, He's going to take it from us no matter how tightly we cling. So instead of fighting God, why don't we just surrender? But again, because Saul had forsaken God and walked away from God, he was at a really bad place in his life. A place where somehow he thought in his humanness that he could hold on to what God was going to take away. And so Saul was keeping an eye on David from that day onward. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul. Literally made progress in Saul's life. And again, we talked about this last week. The only reason that this evil demonic spirit made progress in Saul's life is because Saul had opened himself up to it. The only reason this evil spirit had influence in Saul was because Saul turned his back on God and forsook God and opened himself up. The same thing is true today. I do not believe that a Christian today can be possessed by a demonic spirit. But I do believe that Christians can be oppressed and influenced by demonic spirits. And the more we walk away from God and His truth and His word and walk away from His spirit, the more susceptible like Saul we are to the influence of evil spirits. In fact, notice very interestingly that the Bible also said that Saul began to prophesy within his house. All the word prophesy means is under spiritual influence. It doesn't say what kind of spiritual influence. You see, in other words, Saul was under the influence. He was speaking and, and putting forth, in a sense, you know, words, but they weren't being prompted by the Holy Spirit. They were being prompted by an evil spirit. That's why John said in 1 John 5, test the spirits. Because <laughs> just because someone is prophesying and speaking forth doesn't mean they're always under divine influence as far as holy influence. They may be under evil influence. We've been there. There's times even as a Christian, a child of God, where we're, our speech, what we're saying to someone else, is not by God's Spirit. It's probably being said because of the influence of an evil spirit that has influence on us right now. And Saul, again, was no different. Now, David was playing the liar that day, and there was a spear in Saul's hand. You know when a person's in a bad place when they're sitting around their house with a spear in their hand. And it just reminds us that 
You know, that, that, that shows that, again, how insecure and everything, that, that he's sitting there as the king. It's such a sad, pathetic, in a sense, thing, that he's sitting there with a spear in his hand like, you know, I'm just going to get whoever threatens me. And Saul threw the spear, thinking, I'll nail David to the wall. Now, that doesn't mean that somehow he was going to pin his clothing to the wall. The word means he was going to kill him. But David escaped from him on two different occasions. I think he was supernaturally protected by God. In fact, the words escape literally mean changed direction. And I don't know whether as much it meant that David, by God's grace, changed direction when the spear was at him, or maybe it even means more that God changed the spear's direction so that it didn't nail David to the wall. The encouraging thing I want you to know is this. One of the things I took from this. At times in our life, we're going to have people like Saul in our lives. People who are against us, people who are out for us, people who are going to try to bring us down. If you're doing what God wants you to do and you're walking with God and God is with you, then you don't have to worry about the Saul's. God will take care of the Saul's and take care of you. In fact, there was a lot of times where David didn't have a clue about what was going on, but God was going to preserve him because God made a promise to him that he would be the next king. So there was no way God was going to permit a spear from killing David. And let's face it, Saul was, if anybody could have nailed David to the wall as close as he was, it would have been Saul. Saul was a great warrior. If you read about Saul, Saul, when he was walking with God and gaining victory with God, there was nobody greater, no greater warrior in Israel than Saul. So it had to be God's supernatural protection and hand on David for him to escape, not once, but twice. And the reason, again, why Saul did this, because it was all about Saul, and he feared David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. How sad. Now, here's where I talk about the dynamics of a relationship. Good, I got a few minutes. One of the things that this chapter reminds us of is that because relationships are always changing, that if I choose to walk with God... That, that means that that might upset other people. That, that my now commitment to Christ might not sit well with everybody. This is totally illustrated here by David and Saul. David wasn't doing anything wrong. The Lord was with him. He was achieving success in all that he did. As far as from God's perspective, God's hand was on David and wasn't on Saul, but that only made Saul more antagonistic and hostile and hateful towards David. There's going to be times in your life where you might have to make a commitment or a choice for God, and that actually might stir up somebody against you. Do we have the strength like David to be able to do what's right and put up with the negative reaction. Oh, we all want affirmation. We, none of us like, you know, fights and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's some times where God calls us to stand up and be who He's called us to be and do what's right, regardless of whether it upsets somebody. 
And yet I want to encourage you that don't get caught up in how successful the Saul's may be in your life. God will take care of that. If you and I are walking with God and doing what we should, God will not only take care of us, He'll take care of the Saul's in our life as well. So the Bible goes on to say that David remo- or Saul removed David, verse 13, from his presence and made him a, com- a commanding officer. David led the army out in battle and back. By the way, the word led there means to go in front with confidence and purpose. How sad that Saul had no confidence and purpose in his life even though he was the king and here was this shepherd boy who had just killed Goliath and he has more confidence and purpose in his life than the king of Israel does. Why? Because he's walking with God and Saul's not. And David achieved success and all he did for the Lord was with him. Verse 15, when Saul saw how very successful he was, he was again afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he was the one leading them out to battle and back. They saw something in David that they had never seen in Saul. Then Saul said to David, Here's my oldest daughter, Merib. I want to give her to you in marriage. Only be a brave warrior for me and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul thought, There's no need for me to raise my hand against him. Let it be at the hand of the Philistines. Saul finally said, And notice... Saul is being consumed here, right? We've been there at times in our life and we know others have been there where again, we get, we get so focused on something that something begins to consume us and, and we become, you know, very angry and suspicious and fearful and we live our lives in fear and we're not living by faith and we're not walking with God and, and all of a sudden, We're so consumed by this that it it becomes our life. And that's exactly the sad, pathetic figure we have in front of us. That's all Saul could think about is, I've got to get rid of David. David is a threat. And so, every minute that Saul was living and breathing, he was thinking, how can I get rid of David? And so, obviously, it was like, well, you know what? Instead of me looking bad by killing him... I'll just get him out there in the front lines and I'll let the Philistines do my dirty work. Again, let's remember, God's going to protect David. Philistines aren't going to touch David. And so the more that Saul tried to bring David down and, and literally kill him and get rid of him, the more he prospered. That should be an encouragement. If there's times in your life or seasons of your life where there are people who are trying to bring you down and cause you trouble and literally destroy you, If you're doing what God wants you to do, the more that they try to bring you down, the more frustrated they're going to be because God's going to continue to give you more and more success, just like he did David. David said to Saul, who am I? Who are my relatives? Verse 18, or the clan of my father in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law. When the time came then for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she instead was given in marriage to Adriel, who was from Mahola. I think Saul did this to try to test David to see if David would just go off. But again, David wasn't about power or position. He was just about God. So then notice, here's an irony. Mishal, Saul's daughter, loved David. 
And when they told Saul about it, it pleased him. Saul said, I will give her to him so that she may become a snare, a trap, a bait, a lure to him. In other words, Saul had it in mind, well, she's my daughter. She'll bring him down. And Saul said to David, today is the second time for you to become my son-in-law. The problem was, notice what's happening here. Something's also changing in the family dynamic. There are many people, even Christians, who believe that family is the end-all, be-all. Can I tell you? I think that's very unbiblical. I think God is the end-all, be-all. And that means there's going to be times, just like here in 1 Samuel 18, where I might have to choose God even over a family member. Because my family member's wrong. Even if it's my father. You know, I can hear Saul now playing the, well, doesn't the Bible say honor your father and mother? Jonathan and Michal? Shouldn't you? And, and yet, Saul, you've walked away from God. You're ungodly. No, I'm siding with God, therefore I'm siding with David. Even though you're my father. And Jesus even predicted this. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. And many times I'm going to bring division even within families. Family members are going to have to choose me or the family. I'll tell you, it, it breaks my heart when even Christians get caught up in that somehow family is the end all. Family is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. I love my family. But there have been times in my life where God has put me in a position where I had to choose Him over my family. All relationships will be tested. All relationships, even our relationship with God. That's why God told Abraham back in Genesis, go sacrifice your son, Isaac. Why did He say that? Because I believe that Abraham was beginning to put Isaac... Above God. God said, no, I got to be first in your life. You've got to be willing to sacrifice him and let him go. And that's exactly what's happening here. So then Saul instructed his servants, verse 22, tell David secretly, the king is pleased with you and all his servants like you. So now become the king's son-in-law. I got to wrap this up. So Saul's servants spoke these words privately to David. David replied, it is because is it becoming the king's son-in-law something ins insignificant to you? Of little account? I'm just a poor and highly, es lightly esteemed man. Notice even at this point, with all the praise from the women and singing the songs that he's, you know, slain tens of thousands, all this, that David still doesn't have a puffed up head. He still hasn't let the praise and popularity and all of this promotion and stuff get to him. And, and that's even a test. You know, when adversity comes, that's a test for us. But sometimes when things are going well and everybody's patting us on the back and, and all this praise and everything, that's a test as well. Are we going to be lifted up in pride? Or are we going to keep a proper head on our shoulders and know that it's only because of God? And David right now in his life is realizing, I'm just a humble shepherd boy following the Lord. It's God. It's, it's not me. 
When Saul's servants reported what David had said, verse 24, Saul replied, here is what you should say to David. There is nothing that the king wants as a price, literally a wedding price or dowry for the bride, except a hundred Philistine foreskins. Yikes. So that he can be avenged of his enemies. Now Saul was thinking that he could kill David by the hand of the Philistines. So his servants told David these things, and David agreed to become the king's son-in-law. Now the specified time had not yet expired when David, along with his men, went out and struck down 200 Philistine men. David brought their foreskins and presented all of them to the king so he could become the king's son-in-law. There's some things in the Bible it's just like, really? <laughs> Saul then gave him his daughter, Michal, in marriage. Here we're wrapping it up. A couple more verses. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became even more afraid of him. Now again, this is so sad. At any time, Saul could say, you know what? I'm wrong. God, this is all about you. It's not about me. And if you want David to be the next king, and everything would have been different. But because Saul was all about himself and clinging to something that God was very soon going to take away from him, things continued to go bad and bad and bad for Saul. Because he was fighting against God and he was fighting a losing battle just like we do when we fight against God. And just don't give in and surrender to what God's will is. Saul continued to be at odds with David from then on. Nothing was ever going to be the same ever again. And the leaders of the Philistines would march out and as often as they did, so David achieved more success than all of Saul's servants. His name, his reputation was held in high esteem. Prized, valuable, precious is what the words mean. It reminded me of Psalm 22. A good name is to be chosen above great wealth. And at this time in Israel's history, David's name and reputation was prized. It was valuable. It was precious. That's a very prized thing to have in our lives. David had it at this time in his life. So as we're wrapping this up tonight, just a couple of reminders. Is the Lord with us or are we with the Lord? How do we achieve success in life? By walking in wisdom, insight, and prudence given to us by the Lord. What about dynamics? What about relationship dynamics? We saw the friendship of Jonathan and David. How God strategically, I believe, I believe brought Jonathan into David's life. Because God knew that he would need a friend that would stick with him through all of this with his father Saul and beyond. And so we saw the dynamics of a great friendship. It was uncomplicated. It was unconditional. It was uncommon. And then we saw the dynamics within a family. That here's Saul, the father, the king of Israel, who's walking away from God. And here's two of his children, Jonathan and Mishal, in a sense, following God and therefore supporting David. And how it shows us that when, that, that when people begin to walk away from God, how it not only can fracture relationships and friendships, but how it can even fracture families. Changing dynamics in relationships. We all have to deal with them. We all may right now or at some time in our life have a Saul who's out for us, doing everything they can to bring us down. 
be encouraged tonight by 1 Samuel 18. The more Saul tried to destroy David, the more God was with him and the more success he achieved. God is not going to let someone like a Saul in David's life or in your life or in my life get any kind of a foothold if that's not what God wants. And so we need to just trust in the Lord. And if God is allowing a Saul in our life for a season like He did for David, it is only to make David a better person. It is only to make David be able to, in a sense, to look in a mirror and see how ugly someone like Saul is and in a sense make a commitment to never be like Saul as the leader of his people. And so God, in His great wisdom, was orchestrating the events in David's life because God was preparing David for the throne of Israel. God is preparing you and I for something tonight as well. What's He doing in our life? Are we cooperating with Him? Are we walking with Him? These are the lessons we learn from 1 Samuel 18. Thank you all for your patience. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You again for these reminders tonight. We just pray, God, that our commitment would be to You. Above power, above position, above a throne, above family, above friends, above everything, Father, help us to make sure that You are first place. And that means sometimes, Lord, we might have to make a decision or be put in a situation where we have to choose between You and someone else or You and something else. Help us, Lord, to be in a place, unlike Saul, where we're going to choose You every time. Where we realize, God, that You and our relationship with You and pleasing You and walking with You and being obedient to You is the most important thing we could ever do. God, go with us. Be again with those, Lord, who've made decisions this week. And Lord, who are really striving to live for You like never before, would You encourage them as only You can do? May Your Spirit just internally strengthen them against any challenges or obstacles or whatever's in their way. And help us, Lord, to continue to be a strong people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. See you Sunday.